Welcome to American Narratives. I'm Marianne Pina. And I'm Joe Frotchum. This is American Narratives. It's great to have you here today, and it's great to have a guest that I truly respect, and I'm just so delighted that we have a chance to spend some time with her. This is Lisa Reynolds. We could say Dr. Lisa Reynolds, but she doesn't do that, even though she does have a PhD. Just a little bit about Lisa. She's a vice president of change management at Christus Health. Christus Health is a faith-based healthcare system based in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but with hospitals and facilities across not only much of the United States, but many foreign countries throughout Latin America, which is very unique for a healthcare delivery system. Lisa has been at Christus Health for 25 years. She's built an amazing career of impact and legacy. And I know that from personal experience. Um, she started uh, at Campbell County Memorial Hospital, I guess found her footing, and then has really progressed into increasingly larger roles, even at the system level, where she is today as, again, a vice president in a very kind of key area at Christus. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Joe and Marianne. I'm really excited to be here with you. Let's dive in and learn more about you as a person. Um, where did, you, where did you come from? Kind of give us the Cliff Notes version of your background, your family, where you were born, where you were raised. I was born in Klamath Falls, Oregon, which a lot of people haven't heard of. And I had one physician at Campbell County Memorial Hospital tell me that was the armpit of Oregon. Oh, no. <laughs> and, Being real blunt at that Yes. Point. I was so young, I really don't remember it. But grew up in Oregon and Washington and primarily grew up in Spokane, Washington, I got married there young, moved to Wyoming, and moved on to Louisiana and Texas. Well, and we share some interesting history. I lived in Spokane for a summer one time, and I've been to Wyoming many, many times. And there's not a lot of people in Wyoming, especially. So uh, we've probably been to the same town wherever you lived, wherever you lived. I'm sure. Gillette? Been to Gillette. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a small... The Razor City. You could call it that, but that's not, I believe, where Gillette razors come from. No. But it's the same spelling and the same name exactly. and all that stuff. Kind of it's kind of fun. Well, terrific. Uh, and so those are your formative years. When did you actually get to Louisiana? When did you actually move to, to Louisiana? Not until 1997. So really my formative years I would say we're primarily in Washington State. And my dad grew up on a farm in Salem. He was one of five kids that went to college. And so he became an agricultural banker. So he moved around a lot, but we always had land and animals. And um, so I grew up on a farm and had to work after school and on the weekend feeding the animals, um, baling hay, putting ba hay in the barn, all those fun things. So I those were really my formative years, learning that hard work ethic. That's, see, that's important to know. That's really interesting. One of five. I've never heard of an agricultural banker before, but sounds like he really lived in the, an agrarian kind of world up in the Northwest, and that was really a big part of your formative education. Yes. Interesting. I, I love that, Lisa. So when we talk about our upbringing and kind of those memorable moments, tell us about a time that maybe shaped your perspective on life or where you wanted to be when you grew up. So I was horse crazy growing up. I, I always wanted a horse. I read horse books all the time. And my dad believed you got nothing in life for free. So he said, if you want a horse, you're going to have to earn half of the money. And so way back when I was young, for five cents a rock, I could go out into our field and pick up rocks or dig up the Canadian thistles, 
with a shovel and I earned half of my horse. And I remember in sixth grade getting my horse and getting on the horse in the field and taking off and just how happy and fulfilled I felt from achieving that goal and that accomplishment and working hard to get it. It's really yeah, interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Who were those major influences growing up then? It sounds like your father, um, was he a major influence? And anyone else, it was kind of core in retrospect to how you view life and choices you made. Definitely my father. Uh, he's not with us any longer, but he was, he loved adventure. He loved travel. And I got that from him. And also a high school teacher that taught business uh, for some reason had this great belief in me. I wanted to be a vet, but when I took her class in bookkeeping back then, I thought, oh, I want to be an accountant. So my first year of college was accounting, and I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) It was too routine for me, and I'm sure it's not, but it felt that way. So then I um, got married instead and went back to school my whole life. And a CEO I met in Wyoming at Campbell County Memorial Hospital, so that one wasn't part of Christus, but that's where I got into healthcare. He really saw something in me that I didn't see and helped me to become a patient advocate and then a director of patient experience and then recruited me from Wyoming to Louisiana. So he was a huge influence on me as well about really believing in myself. It's interesting. So it was a little bit of kind of serendipity that got you into healthcare. And then it was like so many times chance meeting with people who take interest in us. Right. See potential, who kind of channel us in a certain direction. Because being raised on the farm in a couple of different great locations in Washington State, Wyoming, you didn't know what you didn't know, like all of us at that age, right? I, right. I think I, I often feel like it's, it's unfair to ask us to figure out our career at 18, 20, 21 years old. Exactly. We don't know what we don't know. I, I, we see teachers, carpenters, two or three other professions, but not the myriad of other things that are available for us. We don't even know exist sometimes at that age. Right. I never thought I would end up where I am today. I, I wanted to be a vet, an accountant, and then I thought I'd be a hospital CEO. And as I learned more about that, I thought, no, that's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and a little sidelight, I didn't share it in the intro. She, you have kind of a, a major investment in education, obviously, and very impressive. Um, you got a BS in management from Regis. Is bachelor's, is that accounting or kind of what, what ultimately did you get your degree in at Regis? So business administration, so business, um, a major in management, a minor in communication. And that was when I was in Wyoming, and they would fly professors up from Regis University from Denver once a week for class. Wow. Yeah, Wyoming is a little desolate. Just no no offense to our Wyoming listeners, because it's a wonderful and beautiful place. It is, but there's more antelope than people. There is. (laughs) There is. I think it's 535,000 people in Wyoming, and I think they all know each other. It's uh, vast and beautiful and underpopulated, which is kind of a cool thing. Then you you got a master's in business administration, LSU. What what kind of led to that decision to get an MBA? So again, the influence of my father, he always instilled in us um, the power of education that nobody could ever take that away from you. I was the middle child, older sister, younger brother, and was always the peacemaker and very shy growing up. And when I went to my first year of college and then dropped out and got married because I hated accounting, I always felt less than because I didn't have that degree. So always going back to get it. I first got my associates and then my bachelor's while working being a mom 
And then when I went to Shreveport, Louisiana, when the CEO recruited me there, I thought, you know, right in this city is Louisiana State University Shreveport campus. I can get my master's. I wanted to get it. And through tuition reimbursement at the time, I could at, with the help of the hospital. And then Christus bought us. So that's how I got into Christus. And that was a game changer. Christus it certainly, was. certainly has been seminal. One more question about your education. Then I know Marianne's itching to ask some questions here, too. But then you got a PhD. That's a big commitment. <laughs> it is. Uh, what was your decision matrix, and what did you get your PhD in? So when I moved from patient experience over to HR, to our corporate office, I was in one of our, we call them ministries, our hospital markets. And our chief human resource officer at the time said, Lisa, you don't have any training in human resources. You need a second master's in human resources. And this achievement drive within me said, I don't want a second master's, I'm going to get a doctorate. And I got it in organizational leadership from Our Lady of the Lake in San Antonio. So I was living in Houston at the time. So every other weekend for four and a half years, I commuted for Saturday school. And I absolutely loved it because everything I was doing at work, I could learn and talk about in class. Wow. So very impressive. So we now have Dr. Lisa Reynolds, but uh, Lisa to those friends, I guess, but very, very impressive. So it shows that there was a delay between each one of those adventures of education and a very deliberate application of the learning, which which is kind of a cool lesson, I guess. Absolutely. And I also see this lifelong learner, right? It's like, I don't want another master's. I'm going to get my doctorate. And knowing knowing you, Lisa, from, from the time that we've been working with you, I also know that you do a lot within Christus to support others. And so my question to you for, for the listeners is, what do you enjoy the most about the work that you do? I, I just feel so blessed because I never feel like I'm going to work. And I've felt that every day at Christus. And my current role as um, leading change management, I still feel that I get to use my passion, which is what I love, which is helping people see the gifts that are inside of them, that they're not seeing themselves, because I had to have people pull that out of me. And I thought, you know, I feel so much more confident and have purpose and direction in my life once I figured out what that was, that if I can help people do that, and at an earlier age, I really feel like I'm achieving my mission. Absolutely. Can you elaborate on that? Because when you say when get it pushed or pulled out of you, what did, what was that process like? Because I know sometimes a lot of times individuals have that imposter syndrome or they don't have the, the they lack the confidence to to do things in their organization. What did that look like for you? What was that process like? So, you know, being very shy, you know, I'm extroverted, but I'm shy. So I'm kind of a paradox. I get my energy from people, but I had some good mentors in my life. One was the CHRO that told me I needed to get my um, second master's, but she always told me I needed to go buy a backbone at Foley's. Oh, no, really? That was (laughs) feedback. And Foley's doesn't exist anymore, but, you know, to be courageous and speak up and have a voice. And then since I was managing the coaches at Christus, internal and external, I had a lot of coaches in my life. And one coach was coaching a CEO of ours, and he asked her to do a team building with her sen- with his senior team. And she said, that's not my role. I'm your coach. You need to ask Lisa to do that. And he said, do you think she's capable? 
And the coach, she was so good because she knew me. She said, Lisa is very capable. I think you're confusing humility with capability. Um, So he then did ask me, but she was kind enough to come give me that feedback. And she said, Lisa, you have so much to share with the world, so you need to speak up and have a voice or it's going to impact your credibility. So that was one way it was pulled out of me. Great example. We're going to see some. Oh, no. I, you know, it's funny. Anytime we hear people's career story, there's always a seminal moment or two where they got tough but important feedback. Yes. That changed the trajectory because they absorbed it. And it really is a gift. Often we don't see it that way. It's tough. I, I had a boss at Compact Computer Corporation, Dan Kasasha, um, and he gave me a few high, hard ones from the feedback standpoint. And I remember how mad I was for about an hour. And then I thought, I'm glad he told me. Whether I agree with it or not, I need to know that. And some of it is true. Yes. I just go to, I got to embrace it. Some of it's true and it's completely a valid perception. And, and, uh, and, and so I know it's, it's trite, but it's absolutely true. We have to be coachable. We have to and not assume everything's okay if we're not getting feedback. We have to solicit the feedback actively and then act on it. Right. And not defend it so that you'll hear more. And exactly. even if we disagree, there is usually a kernel of truth in there somewhere. And it's perception. So how can we manage that? Absolutely. Without taking it personal and growing from it, right? This leads us into the next the next piece, right? Um, as all of us have had our own challenges or mistakes in our careers, tell us about a time that you've maybe had a challenge or a mistake and what did you learn from it? There's so many examples. I like to say I don't make mistakes often, just every day. I believe you. (laughs) (laughs) But I use those as learning. So, I, you know, you said I'm a lifelong learner, so I love to go fast and make mistakes and learn. But one earlier in my career, and again, it goes back to that courage. I was at our hospital in Beaumont, Texas, and was had accepted a job at our corporate office in Houston. And I was reporting to our chief nurse, and I told her, And I also had a dotted line to the CEO for the patient experience committee. And she says, don't tell him he's going to be upset because he hates corporate. Let me tell him. And I knew in my heart I wanted to tell him because I had that dotted line relationship. But I didn't tell her I was going to tell him. I just said, okay. And then like an hour later, he came in my office and I said, hey, I want to tell you something. I, I feel like it needs to come to me, but would you not say anything? So I told him, and then he told somebody, and it got back to my boss, and she was so disappointed in me. And I don't blame her, and it just made me realize those tough conversations, um, it's much kinder to be clear than to tell people what you think they want to hear. So again, going back to the voice and how important that's been in my career journey. You know, it's funny. I... um Prior to COVID, every quarter we would poll our coaches around what are the common areas of focus for coaching. And always in the top three was leaning in and having difficult conversations, having fierce conversations, as you would call it, or courageous conversations. Uh, It's tough, but it's the nicest thing we can do, ironically. It is. And it sounds like that was a core, because I know you, your personality is to be highly agreeable and look for placidity and harmony. But it sounds like you really internalize that feedback on multiple fronts, or I have to do the right thing, which is the nice thing, but it's the hard thing. Um, it, it Was that really kind of a key acquired behavior in your standpoint? 
through the years. Yes, definitely. And it was all about reframing it. So if I had spinach in my teeth talking to you today, I would hope you would tell me and you would want to know if, if I noticed that too. And so it's really thinking about we can't help people grow and progress in their careers if we don't give them feedback. And so what a gift it is. Yeah. And you know, in my role when I led talent management, I really felt it was my duty to give people feedback that others were unwilling to give and to really encourage those that did have feedback to give it. And I still do that today in my current role. Yeah, no, and I know you do. Um, let's do this. Let's do a Cl- Cliff Notes version of your career progression, if that's okay. Sure. Um, so we, 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 got, we know you have a PhD. We know you're at Campbell County Memorial Hospital. We know you're at another hospital in Shreveport and it got by, purchased by Christus. And where you've been uh, for a long time, since middle school, basically, it seems like. Tell, tell us kind of, if, just kind of tell us your progression through Christus. I've got some cheat notes here, but can you kind of give us your key roles in order and how you made the decision to move into that next and any kind of key lessons as far as this trajectory for our listeners? Sure. So when I was at Bossier Medical Center as the Director of Volunteer Services and Patient Advocacy, because when I got into healthcare, it was Director of Volunteers, and then things would get added on. So when Christus bought us, um, I learned quite a bit from them about how to deepen both of those roles, and then a position came up at St. Elizabeth Hospital in Beaumont for Director of Guest Services, they called it. And I love starting new programs. And so they'd never had that before, so I applied, and I got it. And I did that for almost four years, and then I got in our high potential program, Christus Academy. And we work on a project for a year, and ours was how could we better support leaders at Christus. There was not any leadership development at that time. And I found what I loved about my patient relations role was coaching leaders to coach their staff. That's where I felt most fulfilled. So we put together a year, um, a week-long program and as a project team in that program, and the CEOs approved it, so they posted a position. And I thought, you know what? I could do that. I would love to do that. So I applied, and I got it. And I think it's a lot, again, back to courage, saying yes to things you may not have all the skills or knowledge to do, but you have the mindset to do it. And if somebody asks you to do something, to say yes. And so I moved over to that role, and then the leader of that department retired, and I got the role to lead organizational development at the time. And then we all moved up to Dallas to centralize uh, the corporate offices, and we were centralizing HR, and I was asked if I would like to lead talent management. And I said, yes, of course, I would love to, and stood up that center of excellence. And it, and it truly has been a center of excellence. I know the work that we've done as a firm, um, we love Christus. Uh, and, and what you've done it really is your legacy and your thumbprint all over it, honestly. So um, not only as, as Dr. Lisa Reynolds, I'll use that doctor once, just go what the heck. Uh, Not only is she a great person, but she's left some really, really good work and impacted people in a very positive way through your work, which I think is very special. And at least from my vantage point outside in, it appears there tends to be really great alignment between your core values and the values of Christus. Tell me if I'm wrong, but anytime you see, that's one of the lessons I learned from you, is that that career alignment with purpose and value has to be there. 
to really get full engagement. It, right? And it, it seems like it is with you. Am I wrong on that? You are not wrong at all. I, I really feel called to be there and, you know, staying somewhere for 25 years. I just feel that my values align perfectly. And a couple of my values are lead with grace. I'm able to do that there because of the core values of Christus and the mission. Um, center around well-being, physical, emotional, spiritual, so we get to bring our whole self to work. Um, we have a faith in something bigger than us at Christus, and I do as well, so that aligns perfectly. If we're having a really bad day, we can go into the reflection room and say a prayer as a team. We start every meeting with a prayer, and then um, help others grow is another core value of mine. So I really feel I get to do what I love every day, and it also helps the organization. Yeah, I see um, that. That's one of my lessons from you, that just deep alignment, you know, very visceral kind of core alignment that, uh, you know, we just finished an assessment. We have the Latino career assessment. We just looked at a snapshot of 100 professionals. And the number one gap was lack of alignment with right. career purpose and values. Yeah. And, and it starts there. Right, you can you can navigate the external world really, really, really well, but if you don't have that visceral, deep alignment with the mission and the purpose of the place, you're rudderless a little bit. Right, and I know you've done a lot of work, both of you, on that too, on career and finding out what you're good at and what's needed. And yeah, if you know, I think that's why I couldn't become an accountant because that wasn't innate <laughs> to me. Sure, it's ironic. My best friend is an accountant, so I still learn a lot about it. Um, but it, it's so true if you don't feel called to do what you're doing and have that energy and passion, it just makes work drudgery. Yeah, it's a nine-to-five yeah, necessity, yeah. and it, it changes everything. Right, right, right. You know, you mentioned something that kind of I know for the listeners will hit home. It's sometimes um, we may not have the experience, but what you said was if you have the mindset, do it, right? And so – I've been a big fan of you. I've been a big fan of Christus Health, the organization as a whole. And one of the things that um, you've been described as is you're a development chemist, right? So you have this huge passion for developing and untapping that potential of other emerging leaders within the organization. Elaborate on that and what brings what brings you to do that within Christus and across um, yeah, other organizations. And I love this development chemist. Just There's some very deliberate words being right. used there. <laughs> It's like I'm not the one doing the work they are. I just help kind of put a little bit of energy on it so it bursts out. Um, so I do it formally in a couple ways through our mentorship program. I've been a mentor every year we've had the program at Christus, and I feel like I learn just as much, but exposing young careerists um, to opportunities and insights that they might not have otherwise formal coaching in some of our programs. I'm lucky Spencer still lets me be a coach because that's really fulfilling for me. And a lot of informal coaching of helping people work on their confidence and ability to have those conversations that make a difference for their career with those that can make that difference. So coaching is really a core part of the modality then for developing people. What what goes into really good coaching? I mean, you've, you're a trained coach. You've utilized coaching in a very strategic way with a very meaningful, scalable organization. What have you learned about coaching and the power of coaching that you could convey to others? Coaching, it's really about asking questions so that the person has that self-reflection and self-generated insight. As, as you know, if we tell somebody to do something, 
the part of their brain doesn't really light up that gets them excited. But if it's their idea, uh, they're energized about it. So it's really being present and listening and asking the right question to help them change their thinking that's causing a feeling, that's causing an action, that's not giving them the outcome they want. So I focus a lot on what are the thoughts that they're thinking just by asking questions. Really? So really appreciative inquiry and, and diving in and framing and echoing back and that deep kind of penetrating conversation. It, there's nothing more validating than people listening to us fully and completely. And, 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 and then we learn by hearing ourselves in some ways. Yes. And, and, then, and then we want to hear what they think because we feel we've been heard and understood. Right. And, and believing in people because mm-hmm. I know those people that believed in me helped me say, hey, I want to do this. And going back to what you asked, Marianne, I think as women, I've seen in studies that we tend to hold back um, applying for positions unless we have every qualification uh, because we doubt ourselves, whereas a man will say, oh, I don't have it all, but I can do that. (laughs) And so we need that confidence, and I try and support women in our workplace, too, that stand back. Where is this whole field going? You know, we've had a lot of very visible, clear, it's almost like we're a global village with all these macro events the last few years. We've had COVID. We've had the kind of mainstreaming of virtual delivery of stuff. You know, we've, we've had certainly a lot of mental illness that's emerged. Maybe it's always there, but it's certainly come to the surface in, in a more kind of mainstream or at least talked about way. You know, we talk to HR leaders and they're saying, now we have to kind of equip our managers to think and ask questions appropriately around mental health that was unthinkable even three years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, it's certainly diversity, equity, and inclusion. I, we can go on and on and on. How has that affected the work that you do in this whole human capital space? How, where do you see it going? Where are contemporary thinkers like yourself thinking about and looking at doing over the next few years And when you look at developing people and organizations? So to me, it starts with presence. I think despite what generation are, you are or what issue we're talking about, it's being fully present and listening and caring for the whole person. And so I have found by building relationships and caring for the whole person that you can address um, any concerns that come up. And if you have the courage to say, you know, I know what was on the news was really tough last night. Can you tell me how you're feeling about it? Uh, So we've got to talk about those issues. And if you have a relationship built with somebody, it's easy to do that. So really being present, and, and again, one of the themes I get from you is leaning in and having the conversations proactively. Yes. Not like pretending it's not there, or if they bring it up, we'll chat about it. Oh, in the morning, the day after, let's talk about it. Right. And again, aligning my philosophy with who I work for, you know, Christus is always about we care for the whole person. So it's easier at Christus to have those conversations. Yeah, but good practice, and it might look a little different in every organization. They might not have a spiritual thought or a prayer before the meeting as a group. Uh, but still, a lot of these practices really translate very well to the workplace, kind of human needs, I think. Yes. it's very good. What, what, tell us about uh, what are you most proud of? I mean, I know what I'm most proud of that you've done, but you know, I, and I only know a little sliver of it. If you had to look back retrospectively, what are you most proud of in your career thus far? 
I'd have to say one of the things I'm most proud of at Christus was building the coaching culture and us winning the PRISM Award, I believe it was 2014, which is integrating coaching into leadership development practices at an organization from the North Texas chapter of the International Coach Federation made me really proud. Um, the people I've seen promoted at Christus who I've had a part in their life has made me really proud. And then probably what I'm most proud of is being a, a mother and a grandmother. Oh, there oh, you go. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't and, and, beat that. Yeah, no, you can't. We, we, we've got a bunch of kids, no grandkids yet. No, not yet. <laughs> so we, uh, we're, we, we're, not, we're not putting any pressure on if you're listening, guys. <laughs> but, uh, but still haven't had that blessing. That, I'm sure that's really neat. It is. Yeah, it's, there's nothing like it. That's what I've heard. And uh, they say it's, it's different than childbirth. In some ways, better. And I'm like, how is that even possible? But I guess... It's true, and I wouldn't have believed it till it happened. It's just like you have permission to totally spoil them and hand them back to them. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'll like. I, I, I like all the fun and no responsibility. Oh, that works really well for me, actually. Cycle it forward for me. What gets you out of bed nowadays and gets you excited to go into work every day? What, what are you working on now, and what are you hoping to achieve in the next you know, two, three, four years? One of the things that is a, a big – it's – it's not an initiative, it's not a program, so I'm trying to figure out what to call it, but it's an element of deepening the Catholic identity of Christus, and it's a, called Living Our Values. So Christus turned 23 in February, and we've always had our core values, and they're talked about daily, but we never had behaviors that described them, and so we brought a group of 40 people together to help us tell stories of what we do and, and name those behaviors. And we're just rolling that out across the system. And it's such meaningful work to hear those stories because it connects people to purpose. It helps refuel our culture from the pandemic the past two and a half years. So that's a big project. We're, we have a project called Converge, which is rolling out EPIC, our electronic health record, which will be of great benefit to both our patients, our consumers, and our associates. That's a big project. So it really is change, a lot your title. Yes. And, and it's about uh, change in two different ways. One is introducing a new system, which will have impact on a large number of people and how we interact and even do certain roles. But it's also a retrenching in our values, right? Um, so how do we stay anchored, but also drive fundamental change in how we do work? Right. But the why has never, never changed. No, we're always steadfast in our mission. Yeah, the mission, the why, the purpose— um, and I think you've been uniquely successful at that. Um, tell me, what one thing that we've learned in our own assessment work is grit and determination is so critical. Beyond intelligence, beyond everything else, um, you know, which are kind of given to you, grit and determination is a bit about choice. Uh, and it's really important. Tell us about a time that was maybe especially uniquely challenging for you. In the context of your career, I guess, although it's all interacted. And, and how did you address it in retrospect, you know, what, what were your learnings from that experience you might want to share with our audience? So I'll share one that's fairly recent. Three years ago, I moved from the VP of Talent Management to the VP of Change Management. And although I said, yes, I'll do that, there was some mourning of losing that work that I felt was my identity and the team was like family. So I went through my own change process, which was good for me leading the people side of change. And 
I didn't have a lot of depth around change management, or so I thought at the time. So I had to go out and talk to experts. You even had me talk to one of your friends, co-worker, partners, and learned a lot. Um, so that was a challenge. And I, let's see, back in 2012, I went to a Tony Robbins seminar, Unleash the Power Within, and it was all about mindset and focus on what you want, not what you don't want. And you walk over the hot coals barefoot, did that. And that was very empowering for me. So it's like, you know, I've been through tough times. What do I want? I want to help people grow, and I can do that still in this role. And now I feel like I got the best deal in this role because, again, I got to create something new at Christus. We didn't have a department focused on the people side of change. And I still get to live my passion. And my current boss, who you've met, Kimberly King-Webb, helped me see that the work I'm doing at Christus wasn't my title, as VP of talent management, it was who I am as a person, and I'm still that same person in my new role. And once she said that, it's like, I can do this. Yeah, I mean, you left an incredible legacy, and now they're saying, go do this, right? Right. And, and I, I, you know, it is a change curve. It's funny, funny or other, I don't know if that's the best descriptor. We found there's three things that just denote incredible amount of mourning, right? Loss of a marriage, loss of a life, and loss of a career. And when I say loss of a career, sometimes a job that we're so tied into, when it goes away, there's an identity crisis sometimes. We have. Yes. And I really felt that was my identity and why I could perform at Christus. Yeah. And, but what's happened is reinvention. Exactly. Repurpose alignment and big impact at the next level. Right. Right. But you could have easily, this is where the grit and determination, you could have easily said, well, how ungrateful. I mean, you could have wiped your hands of it and walked away and you could, Hey, let's let's be honest. You could find another job, right? But you didn't. I didn't. No, and I love that, Lisa, because not only are you leaning in and being present and having the right mindset, but you truly are living your values through through Krista's health, right? And so that leads us into kind of wrapping up the session. But what are some key lessons that you would want to share with our audience today? First and foremost, I would say have a voice. So even if you think especially to those young careerists listening, somebody's already said that, make sure you ask a question or make a comment that adds to it so people start seeing you as somebody to listen to. Second, I would say believe in yourself. And three is say yes when people ask you to get involved in things you may not be interested in or you don't think you can do because it always opens a door further down. And then The last thing I would say is the importance of relationships and maybe even the most important. I have built so many relationships over my 25 years at Christus that allow me to just pick up the phone and call somebody if I'm struggling with something. So the importance of those four things really are my learning of my life so far. Well, and what you've created is not only uh, you are an executive role with a PhD, but more importantly, you've left an incredible legacy and an organization that does amazing things, um, delivering health to those that are most in need across many cultures and across many countries. So thank you so much. You are welcome. It's my pleasure to serve there and to have this conversation with you. You bet. Well, thank you, Lisa, and more to come. And Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
American Narratives is brought to you by CMP, a minority and women-owned firm providing solutions across the full talent life cycle, from recruitment and assessment to leadership coaching and career transition solutions. To learn more, visit www.careermp.com. Thank you.